you going to do? How are you going to survive? I don't know. It's the, it's, it's the brave new whatever, <laughs> you know? People are just... And then there's thunderstorms outside. <laughs> Plus, it's 8.45 a.m. Saturday, May the 30th, 2020. I'm Bill. I'm Diane. It's the Bill and Diane Show. <laughs> Little flash of the lights there. blinking on the lights. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I hope our computers don't blow up. Yeah. <laughs> I hope the, the Bill and Diane Show doesn't blow up. I think all the surge protectors in the house would have to be wiped out before uh, the anything could invade our thing. We didn't have internet there for a couple of minutes, though, earlier. I was trying to connect, and we had no internet. So who knows, Diane? It's true, Bill. But for this part of the show, Diane, we don't need connectivity. I wonder if they could hear the thunder. In the, the thunder bumpers? Yeah. Thunder bumpers out there. Well, it's just, it's just more of the same. You know, it's just more... Uh, symptomatic of the whole situation you know if you think about it i got myself a cup of coffee here and i'm gonna take me a sip it makes complete sense that there would be you know thunder and lightning too yeah along with the rest of it whatever it happens to be at any given moment because it changes you know people's mental states diane are kind of on a kind of wandering path through dark murky woods and with moments of brilliant sunshine and illumination, and artesian wells of inspiration coming up from hidden sources. Pardon me, I'm gonna have another drink of coffee. So, you know, buckle up. You boy. Kind of thing. That's good coffee. Type of deal. Plus, it's been a hectic week here in Lake Amphetamine, as per usual, over to you, Diane. <laughs> I don't even know what to say after all that. Come on. Come on. Just well, jump into the jello. Yeah, well, I think that this week has been pretty heavy for <laughs> all human souls right now. Yeah. And, and I was talking to Bill last night because these times are so hard to know what you should do. You know, should you be running out into the streets and protesting? Should you be writing to your Congress? people should you and uh i don't know i always feel uh a sense of inadequacy during this time and i wonder whether other people do as well i just feel like whatever i can think of is not going to be adequate for the response you know yeah but i think i think response has to be cumulative for something like this you know uh you know, maybe writing to your congressperson is not adequate, but if, you know, a hundred million of us write to our congresspeople, yeah. you know, the collective uh, weight of that might be, you know, might be enough to move the ball or the rock a little bit off the mountaintop or whatever and get things rolling. I don't know. It's hard not to feel helpless, uh, but there's... Uh, it seems like in our help, helplessness, there is a, uh, there is a, uh, you know, the terrorists win. That's, that's the, that's the scenario in which, uh, the terrorists win is when good people do nothing. So, I don't know. 
There is no answer except to just keep doing the little stuff. We've got to keep doing the little stuff. You know, if, if, if doing the little stuff doesn't seem to be making any change, well, we got to, doesn't mean we should stop doing the little stuff. Yeah. You know, uh, we might have to do the little stuff plus a little bit more stuff. Any new ideas that come to us, you know. Uh, there's nothing that's going to get us out of this other than human intelligence on some level. So, might as well use it while we got it. Type of deal. Here endeth the uh, lecture from the mountaintop because I ain't done dinkus either. Well, I was uh, at our Zoom meeting with my work group yeah. yesterday. They were asked, my boss asked how we were all coping with all of this. She's such a wonderful supervisor. And there was going to be a webinar uh, available to the campus about resilience during this time. And I did not go to it because I've, I'm too busy at work. I, you know, this is, my work has not stopped and I, this is my busiest time. But listening to the other people in my group, I realized that all of us are, are kind of skating on an edge, but that we're all doing some things that help us. And one of the things that helps me, I was saying, was um, going to Michael Mead's webinars uh, to get more of an eternal focus rather than just on the current events. And if I have any fault, it's always that I do tend to more eternal. I've, I've always had trouble with knowing what to do in the current. <laughs> but on the eternal level, I feel like I, I have more of a, a view of things and that I can stay solid in myself when that's happening. And I also said that my walks have been incredible uh, to help with the stress of time because just going out into the natural world, like today I was standing in the kitchen and I saw this squirrel out on that branch that's right outside of us. I don't know if it's a pine or whatever, but it, it was bouncing up and down. It looked like it was on a trampoline for a while. And that tree. Yeah. That's a cedar. The cedar. Yeah. And I, I was just thinking, wow, you know, they're, they're just these moments yeah. <laughs> when you connect with yeah, nature yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and the, and it felt playful, although maybe it wasn't playful. Maybe he was scrambling to save his life. You know, one of the, <laughs> one of the cool things that I am constantly being, uh, reassured by on some level is, you know, I used to have that tree outside my window upstairs. It's kind of a famous tree in my life because I've written about it and talked about it a lot and used to be there it's a former tree it's the it's the negative space where the tree used to be a positive space and uh, crows used to roost in it and squirrels used to play in it and it was a big tree and ever since that tree has been gone the crows are roosting on the roof right above my office I hear them up there constantly kind of poking into the roofing to dig out bugs and and you know I watch them they I watch crows from the building next door and sitting on the fence and flying from different places and they come they fly straight towards my window and then then they swoop up at the last minute and go up on the roof right above my 
above my window. So I get Oh, there this. have been a couple of times I've seen them in the skylight, scrambling on yeah. the skylight. Oh yeah. And, oh, yeah, definitely. And picking out the whatever's in the crevices up there. That just, that's, yeah, for some reason, that is reassuring to me. Yeah. Uh, because uh, it used to be the tree that they would roost in. Now they're roosting on the, the roof over my head, so... Whatever works, and once in a while, Speaking one of them of will one of them will land in that cedar tree and be kind of and be trying to pick at something, and the bounce the, the limb is bouncing, and the crow is just kind of clinging, and he'll turn upside down for a minute, and they'll get back upright, and he's just kind of, you know, dangling there doing weird gyrations and. But also, just the the peace of the mornings when I go on my walks, it's yeah. been quite amazing. That's why I like walking in the dark in the early morning dark is because it's just so quiet and it's a it's a it's a something about being dark makes it quieter you know um and the things that you do see tend to be more vivid when it's dark outside for for me for some reason anyway it just seems like the the good time of day for me to be out for kind of a meditative uh moment it's kind of hard to do right now because when i leave the house at 4 30 it's already twilight morning twilight out there because the days are so long right now it's always true at this time of year that uh, it's hard to get out in the dark and you know i'm not going to get up at three o'clock in the morning like i used to I'm, you know four o'clock is about as early as i'm going to go so here's some thunder bumper well anyway i think that as uh that you really have a lot to to grapple with during these times. Everybody does. Yeah, and I think it's I think probably it's a little more uh, impactful now because as individuals and as family units and as households, we have been and are continuing to be invited to a very small world that w- that we are operating in a very small, reduced-sized spectrum of available stimulus and experience. So we're we're either on the screens and being bombarded by that without anything but our walks and our observations out the windows to offer a counterbalance to that. We don't have the human interaction and and the human physical contact that we're used to that acts as a counterbalance to the chaos that is presented to us by, you know, the if it bleeds, it leads mentality of, of our news cycle. Um, so we don't have that kind of balance that we're used to having. And we're having to look to other things to offer that balance. And so little moments like the crows and the squirrel and the stuff like that become much larger uh, because they are what is... Uh, what we have to cling to, to keep our uh, sense of the world that we know intact during this weird time. Uh, it's interesting to to not only register in my own body how I am responding to this long period of isolation, or relative isolation, uh, but watching how other people are responding to it too. And I just, you know... It's interesting to talk to friends and during Zoom meetings and to see their facial expressions and see that there's there's something else there that's operating, you know. Uh, even and trying to do like the live cast that I do on Zoom. When I watch, when I rewatch one of my Tuesday night things, 
on YouTube or something when I'm getting the video ready to put up on YouTube. There's something in my face that is that I'm not used to seeing. Uh, there's a layer of concern and awareness, not fear, but um, something, something that's, that verges on a hesitancy that comes out of uh, an awareness that we don't know what's going to happen day to day and we don't know how it's going to affect us and we don't really know yet how to operate in whatever the world is going to be after i don't know maybe we're already in the after is this what life is like now you know all these questions are hanging over us and the thunder and the lightning <laughs> is happening at the same time that's a good yeah one. that's a good one i saw the flash of the lightning yeah, no. on that one yeah the, the storm's getting closer because you know that's good i like that that's that's the big timpani section there man somebody's Somebody's doing some does fine like work Tiffany. in the percussion section, yeah. Anyway, I, you know, I don't know how to quantify it, and I think we're all being forced to kind of recalibrate our own consciousness uh, on a day-to-day basis. And the, the impact of the chaos on the screens, it's having a different kind of impact on us than it had when we had each other, you know? So, I don't know, it's, it's, it's hard to pick out all the little filaments of the things that are affecting us day to day. But I am finding great solace in poetry right now, and, and it seems magnified. I mean, I, I like poetry. I read poetry all the time. But to, be, to find it just, it's, it's, a, like a, it's like I can feel the nourishment of it going into my body as it's happening. This is a poem I read this morning that I would love you to read by William Stafford. It's called Yes. It could happen any time. Tornado, earthquake, Armageddon. It could happen. Or sunshine, love, salvation. It could, you know. That's why we wake and look out No guarantees in this life, but some bonuses like morning, like right now, like noon, like evening. See, poetry. (laughs) It's amazing. It's amazing. And it, you know, so we are reminded uh, of some natural resources in our lives that maybe we had taken for granted before and those are being allowed to uh to maybe assume their rightful spot in the the on our priority lists in our lives in a way that we'd kind of forgotten how to do because everything tends to move so fast it's it reminds me uh, in a way of when i moved to the methow valley because one of the things that took a while to get used to when i moved to the methow was the lack of stimuli there was the the visual field was not urban it wasn't traffic it wasn't billboards it wasn't you know the sun reflecting in the glass mirrored glass of buildings it was something else it was trees and the aurora borealis and the sound of the creek instead of the sound of the freeway and all these kind of things and and it was a it there was an openness to 
in my head that I had to get used to. I wasn't used to having all that room to reflect because, and what came to me in that reflection was not all positive. I was looking at my life and I was uh, assessing and I was not happy with a lot of what I saw. And I had to, you know, you have to reckon with that kind of stuff when you are given the space uh, and you can't avoid thinking about things. So I think everybody's kind of caught up in a, in a different kind of mindset that's like a forced retreat, uh, uh, you know, and we are forced back into our own heads and our own consciousness in a way that uh, we'd kind of gotten used to being disconnected from. So when we were going to do the show today, I was thinking about the music and we had been going through some of the albums that we had had right. um, for our 10 formative albums and both of us had chosen Hijira. Yeah, Joni Mitchell. By Joni Mitchell. And since... I was looking at all the albums I could have chosen and I wanted that one today because it's so perfect for the the dilemmas I'm going through in my mind. And one of my favorite lines of the the song has always been, you know, it never has been easy whether you do or you do not resign. Whether you travel the breadths of extremities or stick to some straighter line. And I... I feel like that's the thing, you know, the thing that human beings always have to grapple with is that it's not easy whether you do this or that. We are living in this world of dualities, you know, each action is going to plow through and have different dualities. And um, so these are the philosophical issues that we each have to grapple with in our own hearts and decide how we're going to meet this moment. And for me, the reason why I was reading William Stafford this morning was because he has a very peaceful way of going through life and even had not gone to war, World War II, which was supposed to be such a noble war, but he didn't believe any war was noble. Mm-hmm. And I feel like a way of peace attracts me the way of war just doesn't attract me um putting up arms or yeah the metaphors uh, of war don't don't really i don't find myself responding to those things on a visceral level the way some people do and i know that it's not true for everybody Um, well but that's why i was saying it's never been easy whether you do or you do not resign mm -hmm. because the the issue that you have if you take the more peaceful way is that bullies will run over you and uh, that they can overtake the world and all that but but i am not of a nature that allows me to go screaming into the streets it's not my nature and i was thinking about how william stafford has such a quiet way of presentation of of himself both in his poetry and in his when he has actually done film, I, I'm just really attracted to his personality, very quiet, very simple. And I don't know, that's yeah, my when, way. When you, when you saw William Stafford read in a reading setting, you, you fell into a bit of a trance because he had this 
evenness to his presentation. And it was hard to tell when he was in a poem and when he wasn't in a poem. Yeah. I remember that from high school, and I remember it from uh, the few times that I saw him read later in his life. Uh, just, just that it was, it was an experience unto itself. You were being invited into not just his literary uh, pursuit, but into his, into his mind, basically. He brought you all the way in, and he wasn't afraid to do that, and that was part of his appeal and part of what he uh, professed, part of what he... Um, that was his methodology, you know. He was part of what he taught right. was that kind of methodology. So, little Joni Mitchell, while you answer the phone? Yes. Okay. A couple of selections from Hegira. We're going to do uh, the title song, and then we're going to do Refuge of the Roads. Two songs that feature prominently the work of Jaco Pastorius on the fretless bass, uh, doing multi-layered bass parts. It's basically Jaco and Joni. So 
somehow the slightest touch of a stranger can set up trembling in my bones. I know no one's gonna show me everything. We all come and go alone, each so deep and superficial. Between the forceps and the stone I met a friend of spirit He 
The clouds of Michelangelo. 
Oh, 